What's up everybody and welcome to Found Flicks. On this Inning Explained, we're looking at the delicious satire, The Menu, where a young couple travels to a remote island to eat at an exclusive restaurant where the chef has prepared a lavish menu, including some shocking and deadly surprises. Ooh. I'll tell you what, I absolutely love this movie and it was one of my favorites from last year. There's a lot that it does extremely well and it manages to balance a lot of different concepts and tones as well. One of those firing on all cylinders kind of experiences. It's actually quite witty and clever at points even laugh out loud hilarious, but it's also a surprisingly tense thriller with some real horror at play as well. And of course, the cast led by the incomparable Ray Fine is perfection. It's just a blast seeing him in a more comedic yet still sinister role like this, and he absolutely dominates the screen, as to be expected. It also does have a grander and interesting statement to make with this story. Now I'm keeping this intro short on this one because there is a lot to look at from the characters, the plot itself, and so much more. So let's check out the menu, breaking down the story, the important character dynamics at play, the grander statement of the movie, and explaining the ending. Let's begin! The core dynamics of our groups of diners is quickly established. Always uptight Tyler chides Margot for lighting a cigarette, as it will kill her palate. She retorts, well in that case, then her palate will die happy. He maintains they're going to be having some real delicate fancy flavors here. Smoking will ruin her ability to appreciate them. She can't believe he's taking this so seriously, and he is quite serious. As far as how much this elite dining experience will run you, there's only 12 guests proceeding at 1250 bucks a head every night. Man, that's a lot of cash. Margot is astonished to hear this. This, and Tyler encourages her to just go with the flow. She smiles, telling him, sure, it's your dime. They're joined by a trio of finance bros, Tyler groaning that they'll be hammered by the amuse-bouche. Then another older couple steps off, and Margot appears to recognize the man, muttering fuck when seeing him. Tyler doesn't notice, as he's more preoccupied with the appearance of predominant food critic Lillian Bloom being here, declaring it official. Tonight is gonna be madness. That's an understatement, bud. The movie star, his only name ever given, is there with his assistant, Felicity. He he greets the others with some boat jokes to minimal reaction. The guys point out someone famous is on board, another jeering, yeah, maybe 30 years ago. Margot also recognizes him. She watched all of his movies when she was a kid. Tyler, on the other hand, is less than impressed, deriding him for being a foodie, or really just thinking that he is. You're not a real foodie like me, bro. They're served the first taste of the trip, a raw oyster with mignonette emulsion, lemon caviar, and oyster leaf. What's an oyster leaf? Margot starts to dive in, and Tyler slaps her hand away so that he can take a picture first. <laughs> rude. He excitedly points out that the pearls are made from alginate, which she pieces together is from algae. Hmm, delicious, she replies sarcastically. She gulps it down, and Tyler almost tears up before laughing, calling it actually laughably good. She agrees that it was good, but she would have preferred just the oyster, none of the other accoutrements. He disagrees. It needs all those elements to create layers of flavor. It affects the mouthfeel. She jokes, don't say mouthfeel to me ever again. Him chuckling, that's eh, too late. They depart the boat, and Margot is feeling out of place, mumbling that this feels like being at prom. Tyler reveals that he didn't go to prom. No cool girls like her said yes. Poor baby, she offers. Screw those bitches. They meet chef second in command, Elsa, and there's a surprising mix-up. Elsa says the wrong name for Tyler's date and fumbles that there's been a change of plans. Margot is here to take her place, but he doesn't know her last name, implying that these two don't know each other as well as we might have initially thought. Regardless, Elsa welcomes her and vows to make her evening as pleasant as possible. He apologizes for that being a bit awkward, and Margot stares 
stares back watching the boat drift away from the dock. Well, they are officially stuck here now. They're taking on a tour of the island, showing off how they use the bounty of the nature all around them in various ways for their recipes. Even right now, there's a guy out there fishing for scallops that will be used in this evening's meal. The star calls out for him to harvest harder, we're starving over here. Lillian is impressed with the whole setup, dubbing it like a culinary biome. Elsa takes him to a smokehouse done in the traditional Nordic fashion. Meats are aged for 152 days to relax the protein strands to perfection. They ask, well, what happens if it's served one day later? Would all hell break loose? She very flatly explains that bacteria from the meat would enter your bloodstream, causing you to become incapacitated and expire. So indeed, all hell would break loose. Her smirking good thing that they're professionals. Then it's on to the sterile barracks where the entire staff, minus chef, all sleep. Elsa referring to them as a family. They spend the entire day working, starting with six hours of prep. And the days don't end until after 2 a.m. And already you're like, hmm, that's a little extreme. They wonder if they ever get burnt out. And Elsa says, no. The chef holds the highest standards, and so do we. They don't burn anything, unless by design to make it delicious. The tour continues, and Margot is hopeful to actually get some food soon. Tyler isn't listening and runs up to Elsa, asking about another building. It's Chef's house. He wants to see inside, but is let down that no one is allowed in there ever. They're brought to a fancy modern restaurant, but troublingly, after they enter, a huge door is closed tight. The crew is busy with the delicate and ornate food prep, and everyone takes their seats. When spotting Margot, Richard asks his wife to change theirs, hoping that she won't notice her. Elsa encourages them to watch the chefs, but do not take photos of the dishes. Chef feels that their beauty lies in their ephemeral nature, as in lasting for a short time. You eat it and appreciate it more in that moment, instead of making it about social media. Tyler just has to get a closer look and talk shop with one of the chefs. Is that a Paco jet you're using? Oh yeah. The guy even knows his name, impressing Tyler. And when asked if chef is around, he's told to return to his seat. Margot notices that he didn't ask the chef's name, and he's still not really paying her any mind, especially as Chef Slowick has finally made an appearance. He has words with Elsa, and then stares daggers right in Tyler's direction. He's worried that it's about him, but it looks more like Margot has got him ruffled. The time has come for the amuse-bouche with compressed cucumber, melon milk, and charred lace. Lillian immediately groans about Chef's ongoing obsession with snow. Ted agrees, calling it a visual plague. Mm, a little dramatic. They break down the ingredients, catching some goat flavor. He notes that Chef did say there was milk in it, but not what kind. Very clever, sir. Tyler thoughtlessly snaps a photo despite just being told explicitly not to. We overhear the others' conversations and start picking up that they're all kind of a-holes. It sounds like Felicity and the star are having an affair, and she's planning on leaving him. The tech bros talk relationships, and Soren admits his girlfriend left due to his own fault. I'm the asshole. They brush it off, because at least they have work. Toasting to work and money. Though they know how pathetic that really sounds, laughing for someone to just shoot us, please. Tyler is over the moon. Jesus, I want to live inside this thing, he beams. She gets real with him. Is it okay if she's not as into this as him? He tells her it's all good. He's still sitting with the coolest girl here. She's curious, what is it with the food thing anyway? Well, you know how people idolize other artists, ball players or actors? Well, they're all idiots. Chefs play with the raw materials of life and death. It's art on the edge of the abyss, the same area where God himself works. Wow, it's pretty over the top. She seems to genuinely find his statement beautiful. Maybe she's starting to get it, or just saying what he wants to hear. Now the first course is assembled. Chef checks the sauce and closes his eyes in consideration. He croaks a small okay of approval, and they continue assembling another impressive and over-the-top display of food. Chef claps, and the staff all snap to attention. He welcomes them and tells them that it's his pleasure to feed them. Over the next few hours, they will ingest fat, salt, 
sugar, protein, bacteria, fungi, and various plants and animals. He begs only one thing of them, don't simply eat, taste, savor, relish, consider every morsel in your mouth, and Tyler nods along like a total doofus. Don't eat, this menu is too precious for that, he chuckles. On that note, food, he shouts. The gang all come out in tight formation to deliver the plates. The island, as it's dubbed, features plants from around the island, placed on rocks from the shore, covered in frozen seawater that flavors the dish as it melts. Whoa. The star starts whispering about the guy fishing this morning, and Chef overhears. It's a bit awkward, but Chef says it's fine, and he is indeed correct. These are the very same scallops. Chef continues, we the people aren't important. The island provides them everything. What happens in this room is meaningless compared to nature, soil, water, and air. We are but a frightened nanosecond while nature is timeless. He gives a strained smile, and Tyler has to literally wipe tears away, finding it all very moving. He even hesitates to eat the food, as it's just too beautiful. He breaks the rules again, and snaps more photos. Margot starts bringing up a restaurant from her hometown, and he interrupts, worried that Chef is mad at him. She tells him he doesn't have to call him Chef, and he probably doesn't even know that he exists. Tyler just wants him to like him, which Margot also doesn't understand. You're the customer. You pay him to serve you, remember? The critics pour over the dish, calling it tweez to fuck, but still impressive, as it's as though they are eating the ocean itself. Felicity asks for the star's opinion, and he can only muster a simple good. She's disappointed, as they are pitching him for a food travel show. Gonna need to be a little more detail than that. Pitch the show, she suggests. The star gives some basic-ass answers about riding a Vespa around and eating cheese in Italy, or then going off to Africa to talk about how racism is bad. After she calls it a disaster, and well, he can't travel much anyway thanks to a DUI. The finance bros discuss the food and all agree that it's solid, but Soren boasts that his personal chef has made food just as good. Well, whatever, at least they can say they've been here. The older couple seem about as disinterested in each other as humanly possible, and brings up running into an old friend of hers recently. Oh, Oh, how was that, he asked, with zero energy. Oh, you know. Perry. She replies, and that's pretty much it. Yep, love dried up here many moons ago. Tyler takes some of Margot's food off her plate, and the chef watches on intently. He then gets back to work, barking that it's time to plate in five. Yes, chef! They all shout in return. Chef does another loud clap that startles Margot, leaving her asking if he's going to do that every time. Chef goes on about the long history of bread. It's existed for 12,000 years and has been especially popular amongst the poor. Even today, grain is still 65% of all agriculture. It is food for the common man, but his guests are not the common man. Thusly, they get no bread. We see the breadless bread plate, noting no bread, but savory accompaniments. The guests are all confused and laugh, seeing just a note on the plate detailing the extra special bread that they will not be having. The star actually loves the shit around the lack of bread, while the critics call it outlandish and even fiendish. Although she spots that the emulsion does look slightly split, complaining that shouldn't happen at a restaurant of this caliber. Tyler gushes about how Chef weaves in historical allegory into his meals. The fun thing is to try and figure out the theme of the meal by the end. She's still in disbelief that he likes all this stuff, and he responds by talking down to her. It's a concept, and she doesn't get it. Margot is well aware of what a concept is. Tyler asks her to just trust him. He's not just a chef, but a storyteller that does not care about the rules. She argues that perhaps some rules are good, like giving food to the people who wanted it. Lillian reveals that she makes her own bread in a very rustic peasant style, she describes. He's curious what kind of yeast she uses, and of course she makes her own yeast from apples. Ted's saying, of course you do, you 
wicked thing. Elsa shows up with a massive bowl of broken emulsion courtesy of the chef. Well now, we really get just how much chef is paying attention to all of his diners. The finance bros try to appeal to Elsa to get them some bread. She sternly shuts them down and they try to play the do you know who I am card? They all work for Doug Varick as they say they're all on the same team. She still refuses and annoyed they shoo her away. She gets in close to Soren, fixing his napkin and whispers in his ear, you will eat less than you desire and more than you deserve. Her demeanor switches right back to Pleasant, telling them cheerily how happy she is to serve them. Getting a little sinister there. Tyler is incensed that Margot won't even try it and decides to help himself. When reaching over, he breaks her wine glass, drawing Chef's attention. He confronts her about the food and she retorts, there is no food. No, this is food, he insists. Well, then more food to come, right? Don't want to fill up. He states that it's not possible to fill up. He's designed the portion specifically to avoid that. Plus, the menu only makes sense if you eat. She's confused. I thought you told us not to eat and Chef gets annoyed. You know what I mean. Margot thanks him for the concern, but she's perfectly capable of deciding when to eat all by herself. The chef leaves and Tyler is humiliated by her behavior and she rightly calls him a prick. The brigade finish assembling the third course and they're pouring more wine, utilizing a hyper decanter to wake it from its slumber. He tells him to keep an eye out for notes of cherry and tobacco, as well as some longing and regret. Hmm, very strange sommelier there. We find out that Felicity has lined up a new corporate gig, feeling there is a real kind of future there, unlike with this guy. They're interrupted by another booming clap and Chef introduces the next dish called Memory, which it is meant to evoke. He gets personal about his childhood and one particularly fateful Taco Tuesday. He introduces another random lady in the room as his mother. As you can see, she is quite drunk, which is quite normal for her. One Tuesday, back when he was seven years old, his drunken father came home and got into an argument with his mom, resulting in him wrapping a telephone cord around her neck. To make him stop, little Julian stabbed him in the thigh with kitchen scissors. He laments in retrospect he should have gone for the throat and concludes, as you can imagine, that was a very memorable Taco Tuesday. In tribute, they're serving house-smoked chicken thigh al pastor, including kitchen scissors stabbed right in there, along with house-made tortillas. It's one of the restaurant's signature dishes, which they change constantly, but this one has been a staple since day one. As he remembers from Lillian's article, this is what put him on the map. Whatever map that is, Chef mentioned the use of laser engraving, and the guest discovers some alarmingly personal secrets. On the tortillas, Lillian notices there are several restaurants printed, which she recognizes as places that she's reviewed and then closed. The older couple look through theirs, happy anniversary on top, and then finding a picture of when he had melanoma removed. Very personal. Then for Tyler, each tortilla features pictures of him taking photos of the food, leaving Margot wondering what is wrong with this guy. Tons, as it turns out. For the star, he's given a poster from one of his movies calling Dr. Sunshine, which he recalls was a dumb script, but a fun shoot. Felicity thinks this all must be a joke. After all, he said they're friends, right? Friends, he stammers. <laughs> do, do I have friends? For the finance bros, it's perhaps the most troubling from a legal perspective. Cayman Island transfer fun forms. They beckon Elsa over, asking, what the hell are these? Tortillas. Tortillas deliciosas, she tells them, but then clarifies that they are tax records, showing their company created invoices with fake charges. They want to know how the chef got them, but he never reveals his recipes. Soren warns her that they are completely screwed. They'll have this place closed by tomorrow. She cryptically replies that won't be necessary and takes her leave. Though they aren't too worried, as their boss is the real owner of the restaurant. There's no way the chef would turn him in, right? The older couple continue through their stack, and another photo sure looks like her husband having a romantic moment with Margot. Uh-oh. Tyler feels guilty and wants to make things right. While she argues he should send this back, she calls for the waiter and he snaps at her to stop. She can't believe he snapped at her and he sees that you don't send things back here, you child. She's really starting to see what a douche this guy is. She demands an apology from him, refusing to allow him to talk to her like that. He doubles down on his douchery. Sure I can. Ding, ding, ding. I'm paying, so just shut up and eat. He takes a massive bite of the taco and is in culinary heaven again, grunting, oh my god. 
God! Margo has had enough of him, telling him don't let me interrupt, and walks off. Elsa finds her wandering around, saying that she was looking for the restroom. There's another strange silver door that she asks about, and all Elsa reveals is there is something very special on the other side. Hmm, what's that mean? She holds up in the bathroom to have a smoke, noticing someone carrying large angel wings outside. Jeff comes in, and it's clearly upset, wanting to know specifically what she didn't enjoy about the last course. She's barely eaten at all. She doesn't get why he cares, and he divulges that it's very important to him, and this in fact wounds him to his core. She shrugs she's just not very hungry, and Chef tries to peel back more about her personally. Who are you, he wants to know. Margot Mills from Nebraska. And she gets annoyed. You want to know my mom's trailer park address too, you asshole? He specifies not who you think you are, but who you really are. I am Margot, she replies resolutely. He chides that she shouldn't be here, and she bristles for him to get out of her way. For the fourth course, things are a little different already, as the crew roll out a big white tarp on the ground surrounded by flowers. Chef returns, looking a bit out of sorts, and claps, regaining his composure. He starts the intro, but a worried Soren interrupts, wanting to know what is going on here. Chef politely asks him to just let him finish, and brings up sous chef Jeremy, who created their next dish called The Mess. He informs us of Jeremy's culinary journey. His main goal in life was to work here. Chef describes him as talented, he's very good, but alas, he is not great, and he will never be great. He desperately wants Chef's prestige, his job, his talent. He aspires to a greatness that he will never achieve, correct? Yes, Chef, Jeremy croaks with tears in his eyes. They both share the immense pressure of longing to put out the best food in the world. Even when everything goes right and the food is perfect, the critics and customers are happy, you still can't avoid the mess of one's life, body, and sanity by giving everything to pleasing people that you will never know. He places a hand on his shoulder, asking, does he like this life? Is it the one that he dreamed about? With that, he gives him pecks on the cheeks, declaring, ladies and gentlemen, the mess. Jeremy sticks a revolver in his mouth and pulls the trigger to everyone's chalk. Well, everyone except Tyler, who isn't even phased, smirking, I didn't see that coming. The others debate if that was real or just stagecraft, and Chef assures them that it's all part of the menu. Well, that doesn't really answer the question. They serve the next course, pressure-cooked vegetables, roasted filet, potato confit, beef jus, and bone marrow. Everyone is still on edge, and Chef barks for them to eat, and they frantically get to cutting. Margo is really freaked, asking what is going on, and Tyler doesn't answer, while the sommelier fills him up with more fancy vino. Then the danger gets cranked up further when Richard decides that they are leaving. That won't be so easy as there is no boat and no way to call a helicopter without cell service. She asks which hand will you handle it with? He doesn't understand the question and she chooses for him. A few burly guys all grab him and put his hand on the table. Another with a cleaver shows up and severs his finger right off to everyone's horror. His wedding band appropriately clanking to the floor. Tyler somehow doesn't even notice this happening. He's still too preoccupied with the food. The star shows that he's getting quite uncomfortable and Felicity suggests talking to him. He is your friend, right? He drops the act, admitting that he made it up. He's just a name dropper. Lillian thinks this whole thing is a show for her benefit specifically. That's why Chef texted her personally. But her companion has no idea what she's on about. Elsa comes to Margot and Tyler. The chef wants to see her, but Tyler is not allowed to his disappointment. He again asks who she really is. Margot, she insists. He served many people, and you are not a Margot. She doesn't understand why it matters again, and he reveals just why it does. The menu, guest list, and indeed the entire evening was painstakingly planned, and she was not a part of that plan. As a result, she's ruining everything. In order to properly proceed, he needs to know where to place her. Are you with us or with them? She hopes this means he'll let her live. And he lets her down? No, of course not. That would ruin the menu. Everyone is going to die tonight. Isn't that right? He asks the crew, and they all chant back, yes, chef. Well, if she's going to die either way, why does she need to choose? He still insists that she does, giving her a limited amount of time to make her decision. It's our side or theirs, in order to return to her seat, informing her the next dish is exquisite. He tells the crew they're plating in five. 
five. Yes, chef. I love you, he says. We love you too, chef, they shout back. Margot returns to the table and smacks Tyler upside the face. And not even that rattles him. He only complains about her getting to see the kitchen. Especially after smoking, she can't even taste the food. She's now starting to understand how messed up this dude really is. Now word from this week's sponsor, HelloFresh. With HelloFresh's meal kits, you get farm fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. It's not just convenient, but makes home cooking fast, easy, fun, and affordable. That's why they're America's number one meal kit. There's a ton of reasons to love HelloFresh. I actually love to cook, and nothing beats the satisfaction of making yourself a tasty home-cooked meal. Especially compared to delivery, which is expensive with the extra fees and everything. Plus, I don't have a lot of time to pick out recipes and go to the store, which is why it's awesome that you get everything you need in one box. It's even cheaper than grocery shopping, too. This time, I made the crispy Parmesan chicken with garlic scallion couscous and lemony roasted carrots. It was delicious. Thanks to their easy-to-follow recipe cards and pre-portioned ingredients, it was easy to have a fresh home-cooked meal in no time. They also have a ton of variety with 40 weekly recipes to choose from, so you never get bored. And you get to try out all kinds of new and different flavors. If you want to try HelloFresh for yourself and get a great deal, go to HelloFresh.com Ending65 and use code Ending65 for 65% off, plus free shipping. Go to HelloFresh.com Ending65 and use code Ending65 for 65% off, plus free shipping. They're served a palate cleanser of wild bergamot and red clover tea. The room is growing more tense, some discussing what they could do to potentially fight back. The star agrees they need to do something, and he has an idea from one of his movies. They rush and grab the chef's knives and use them to fight back. They don't think that will work, and Soren decides to try and break a window. He takes a chair to it, and it does absolutely nothing, and the chefs don't even stop service. Elsa casually takes him back to the table. Yep, no escaping here, buddy. Chef collapse. You know the old saying, sometimes all you need is a good cup of tea. It not only cleanses the palate, but also acts as a soothing balm when facing hard truths. He asks if anyone has any questions, and Tyler has one. Is that bergamot that he's getting? Yes, the chef confirms with a heavy eye roll. The star asks point blank, what the fuck is happening? And we come to understand that chef has a particular vendetta with everyone in the room. Each group also represents an aspect of his industry that has been perverted in a sense. He has to think of themselves as ingredients in a tasting concept, and them being here shouldn't be a surprise for most. Lillian was an early advocate of his career, but he also knows the damage that she's done to countless livelihoods. She starts to defend herself, and he shuts her up. This is no time for talking. It was an interview that she did with him many years ago that launched his career and essentially led to the creation of Hawthorne. He pokes that she loved getting his attention, as it was him yearning for her attendance. Her ego was fed, which is to be expected, and it fed his as well. Then there's his loyal customers, Richard and Anne, asking how many times they've been here. They think about it, I don't know, maybe six or seven times, and he corrects 11 times. Man, just the amount of money they spend at this place. Most would be blessed to eat here even once, and he's curious. Can they recall a single dish from their last visit, or even one from any of their visits? Richard draws a blank, and Anne whispers cod to him. Wrong again! It was halibut, you donkey! Rare spotted halibut. She doesn't understand why that matters, but it matters to the halibut, and the artist whose work turns to shit in her gut. He laments that he's wallowed his whole life in work to reach a price point only others like them can access. He feels, actually, that he's been fooled into trying to satisfy people that never can be. This actually sends back to his mother, he points out, who's looking extra drunk. This has led him to a revelation of sorts. His restaurant has become part of the problem. Bryce points out that it's technically not his restaurant. Their boss, Doug Barrick, owns the island and the restaurant. Chef concurs. Hawthorne is his entire life, and thusly, Doug owns him as well. But things are about to get a bit more complicated as he owns him. He draws her attention outside, seeing Doug hanging over the water wearing those angel wings we saw earlier. Angel investor, right? The boys try to cut a deal with him. Just tell them a number, any number. Chef shuns them. He doesn't need the money. Dave makes a break for it and gets quickly floored by security. Bryce 
voicemails. We kept you open through COVID, you prick. Jeff also acknowledges this, but Doug asked him to change things in his menu, even requesting substitutions, despite there being no substitutions at Hawthorne, he shrieks. Fallen angels, please, he commands, and Doug is lowered slowly into the dark waters, hearing his distant screams. He closes his eyes and asks if they can hear that. Doug goes under the water and his screams cease. You hear the silence? That silence means I'm free. The timer goes off and now Margot has to make her fateful decision. She fumbles with any kind of real answer and he's disappointed. He's going to have to make the choice for her. She belongs here with her own breed, the shit shovelers, telling her that he can spot a fellow industry worker. He asks about the old man she's been eyeing all evening, knowing that he paid her for an experience. After all, he's in the same business in his own way. It's true that she is an escort and had a disturbing experience with Richard involving pretending to be his daughter. Yeah, gross. He is curious if she enjoys providing her services. Yes, or she used to at least. She asks him the same, and he used to as well, but hasn't desired to cook for someone for ages. And he truly does miss that feeling. He returns to the diners and invites them outside for the next course. They line up on the steps, flanked by more chefs all around them. Another sous chef, Catherine, had an unpleasant experience with Julian, which is the inspiration for this dish. He tried to make a passenger and she refused, yet he didn't fire her. He kept her in the kitchen, but refused to talk or even look at her for eight months. He can do that because he's the star. He's the man. Appropriately, the next course is called Man's Folly. She pulls out a pair of scissors and stabs him right in the leg, followed by a gentle hug. She takes some blood and smears it on a chef coat, and Chef apologizes for his actions. He offers the male diners a chance to escape with a 45 second head start. Then the staff will try to catch you, he begins, but before he can continue, Soren makes a run for it. The guys all follow after, except for Tyler. Chef points him out, you too, you moron, and he scurries off. The ladies are brought back in and given an actual course of man's folly. Dungeness crab, fermented yogurt, dried sea lettuce, emboshi, and kelp. Catherine joins them, and since she designed it, they futilely attempt to compliment her. Lillian even suggesting that she could help her get her own place. Cat sniffles that there was a time that would have meant a lot to her, and then completely breaks down in tears, and seizes the opportunity to ask Margot, does she know her husband? Yep, she simply replies, sending her back for more wine. Lillian then asks Catherine directly, are they going to die? Yes, I'm afraid. The menu won't work if they leave. It needs the ending to tie everything together conceptually. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of people eating good food, and in that case, who cares? The everything dying thing was actually her idea, looking quite proud. They know now and fully accept there is no way out of here, offering everyone more to drink. Might as well be drunk if you're gonna die. None of the guys make it too far and are all quickly rounded up by the goons. Ted is the last one to get caught and is rewarded for his efforts. A chef opens a window and presents a passard egg with egg creme fraiche and maple all nestled in a little bird's nest. Adorable. When they are brought back to the others, Tyler is disturbed that they got another plate and even tries to grab the leftovers before they're bust. Richard comes in and when seeing Margot and his wife together, knows his goose is cooked. Felicity asks the star how he did and he lies that he killed it. But he finally drops his facade, calling himself a failure. The hits keep coming, her revealing that she's been stealing from him. He already knew that and that's why he wrote her a bad recommendation for her new job, meaning he torpedoed her new career. She actually knew that as well as he was dumb enough to CC her on it. Wow. Pretty petty, these two. The chef addresses them and feels the menu cannot continue until an unresolved matter is dealt with. You! He addresses to Tyler, busy stuffing his face. He wants to know why he's here. Well, to experience all of chef's food. But just how much did he know ahead of time? Well, it was going to be the greatest menu ever created. And he leads, and that everyone would die. As for his original date, they broke up a while back. And so yes, that means he hired Margot, knowing it would be leading to her death, proving that he's even bigger a-hole than we could have possibly imagined. Margot unleashes her fury upon him, threatening to kill him before getting dragged away. Julian understands her reaction as he and Tyler were given access to their world for eight months and was sworn to secrecy. After all, he's different, right? He knows about the food. He can ID a Paco jet. He tasted the bergamot. No, identified it. Chef is impressed. I mean, clearly he's a cook and belongs in the kitchen, right? 
Here's my favorite scene. The chef agrees, and he beckons for him to come with me. Tyler is looking a little bit nervous, and has bestowed an official chef jacket. They all agree that it looks great on him, and even his mama calls him a handsome boy. Julian personalizes the jacket, beaming that he's proud of him. Thank you, chef, Tyler squeaks. Now cook, he demands. You're a cook? So cook. He encourages everyone to come over for the demonstration. Tyler is about to amaze us with his culinary expertise. Chef asks, what does he need? Leeks? What else? Shh, shh. Shit, Chef asked. Shallots, he spits out. Shallots for the great foodie, Chef ribs. He tells the other staff to stop working and watch too. It's time to learn. Tyler haphazardly chops the produce, and Chef makes fun of him for his revolutionary new dicing technique of which they have been oh, woefully unaware. How about a protein, lamb, he mumbles. He takes his mishmash of shit and really shows off his complete lack of understanding any actual cooking, even burning his hand on the hot pan. Yeah, you don't touch metal on the stove, dummy. He dumps everything into the pan, everyone else watching on dead-eyed. Tyler cannot handle the tension anymore and decides that it's done. Chef wants to make sure. Maybe you want to grab into the Paco jet first. Chef takes a bite and lets out a mmm, wow. For a fleeting moment, you're like, maybe Tyler is actually good, but there's no way. Chef continuing, it's actually quite bad. In my favorite joke of the movie, we're given another food porn shot for Tyler's bullshit. Undercooked lamb, inedible shallot leek butter sauce, and utter lack of cohesion. Chef goes on to pretty much destroy Tyler's entire being. You are why the mystery has been drained from our art. You see that, don't you? Sorry, chef, he cries, and Julian whispers something into his ear that we don't hear. The intention was quite clear, however, addressing what a fraud and piece of shit he really is, and there is no coming back from that kind of damning. He scuttles off to end it all, and the chefs get right back to work. You're free, he tells Margot, and apologizes to the others, as this moment was not part of the original menu. We strive for perfection here, which doesn't exist, something that he finds quite difficult to wrestle with. He again asks Margot to come along and has a task for her. They require a large barrel that was supposed to be here, and blames Elsa for not not assigning someone to bring it. Elsa wants to do it, but Chef tells her Margot is one of us now. Yes, she agrees. Yes, what? Yes, Chef, she responds dutifully. Elsa begrudgingly bestows her the key, and she sets off into the fog beam ridden night. The guests are growing hopeless, and when Chef is about to clap, the star steps up. He just wants to know why he's being punished. Chef is happy to oblige, and his particular crimes are quite laughable. One day off years ago, Chef saw his film, Calling Dr. Sunshine, and did not enjoy it. The star is baffled, and he continues that it was his first day off in months, which is incredibly precious for chefs. One day to really live. The star defends he just acted in it, and Chef's particular problem is his memory of the film is his face in it. Seeing him again now haunts him and drives him. What happens when an actor loses purpose and the star has no choice but to agree? He also was intending to do his bullshit food show when obviously he knows absolutely nothing about it, further damaging and diluting Chef's art. Well, what about Felicia? Chef asks, what school did you go to? Brown. Well, did you have any student loans? Nope. Well, in that case, sorry you're dying. Margot makes it to the smokehouse, but decides to first check out Chef's forbidden cabin. It provides a real insight into the chef's broken state of mind. There's a large, fully furnished industrial kitchen, along with several dining tables on display. As for actual living quarters, there's only a simple, small bed. This is a great visual metaphor to the chef, and just how much he values his work over his personal life. Like he said, the mess and all that stuff. All you get is this. The personal life has shriveled to just this measly arrangement. She's drawn to a silver door, and Elsa steps out from the shadows. No one is allowed in here. Do you think you're special? She spits. You disobeyed the rule. And she grabs a knife. She grumbles that Margot has been a nuisance this whole time and refuses to be replaced. Margot insists that she has no interest in that, but the seeds of jealousy have already been planted and Elsa attacks. They flail around the room, making a huge mess. And the Paco jet does come in handy after all, Margot smashing her opponent in the face with it. Margot gets on top of Elsa, both struggling for dominance over the knife. Tellingly, Elsa shares that Chef did not tell her about the barrel. She's overpowered and the knife plunges deep into her chest, causing her to quickly bleed out. Her comment is interesting because it does sound like Chef is kind of recruiting Margot in 
away and specifically made up this scenario just to make Elsa jealous and see how Margot would react. And well, there you go. With no one else to distract her, she unlocks a silver door. It leads to a simple room with out of place concrete walls. There's a few specific photos featuring Chef in his younger days. An important one being the aforementioned interview with Lillian that sent his career to new heights. There's another of Julian along with what must have been his wife and a baby, but that's all gone in the next photo when he's seen with Doug at the opening of Hawthorne. This implies that he literally threw his entire personal life in the rubbish to get to this point. That he believes is how dedicated one must be to their craft. There's a final, even older piece on display. It's Chef from way back in the day where he was named Employee of the Month at Hamburger Howie's. It's worth pointing out the beaming, genuine smile on his face, a far cry from his pretentious icy current demeanor. Even though back then he was simply flipping burgers. No alginate or umboshi at Howie's, I can promise you that. The point is we're seeing when he was happy, when things were simple without all the strings attached of being a high-profile chef. Margo stumbles across a radio, and luckily it still works. In the dining hall, they bring out a cake for Bryce, the whole staff singing him happy birthday while he looks absolutely miserable. You told him it was my birthday, scals. Yeah, well, we thought it was funny three hours ago. Margo returns with the barrel and goes back to her seat, nobody even commenting on her bloodstained apparel. Chef digs deeper into those ideas the room's touched on, acknowledging that he's been a monster and a whore. While tonight, everything I'm doing is pure, egoless, and at last, the pain is almost gone. He shows off what he calls Chef's asbestos hand. After so many years on the line, he can carry a cast iron from a hot oven to a table with no protection whatsoever. Definitely caused some burns. He then goes on to quote Martin Luther King Jr. And everyone is like, are you kidding me, dude? The guests are given fresh hope when hearing a boat horn and a fog light cresting the windows. Chef growls, I see you found our radio. And the others think that they're saved. The staff quickly tries to hide anything nefarious going on. And Chef threatens them to not tell them anything. They cannot help you. Do you really want to be responsible for an innocent person's death. He also wonders why they haven't tried fighting back harder over the evening. They didn't really try at all. He believes they could have done it. Just something to think about. Now they're all doomed to die. Whoops. The officer enters and surveys the scene, which Chef tries to play off innocently as just them being in the middle of service. Then he vaguely recognizes the star, saying that he's a big fan. Chef offers his autograph, and the star is happy to oblige. The guy remembers that they loved him in that movie where he played the surgeon. Yeah, calling Dr. Sunshine. And he exchanges a tense glance with Chef. He goes to leave, but is stopped in his tracks seeing that he wrote, help me, on the paper. He grabs his gun and orders everyone to put their hands on their heads. The others all yell over each other that the chef is behind everything. He wants to kill us all. The officer appears to believe them, telling chef to get on the ground, and they are hopeful that things are finally going their way. No such luck, as he points his gun around the room and uses it to light a candle, meaning it's obviously fake. Chef calls him by name and sends him back to his chefly duties. This whole thing was yet another test designed for Margo, and now that she's let him down, he concludes that she is one of them, an eater, a taker, in spite of everything, they continue with the meal, and the final course is up next. Everyone tensely waits, seeing the chef working on whisking up several large bowls of chocolate. Margot looks deep in thought, and has a sudden dawning realization of how to get out of this thing. She turns the table on chef, standing up and loudly clapping. I don't like your food, and want to send it back, she proclaims, in spite of what Tyler said earlier. Everyone stares on, in anticipation of chef's reaction. He's sorry to hear that. What's not to your liking? She knows enough about him now to really get him into the core. For starters, you've taken the joy out of eating. Every dish has been some kind of intellectual exercise instead of something to sit and enjoy. When she was tasting his food, it was like it was made with no love. Chef scoffs. That's ridiculous. We always cook with love, right? And the chefs agree. Everyone knows love is the most important ingredient. Well then, you're kidding yourself, and it's time for some of those hard truths you mentioned. You cook with obsession, not love. Even the hot dishes are cold. His one single purpose as a chef is to serve people food they actually like, and he's failed. Not only that, but she's bored as well. But you know the worst part of all? She's still fucking hungry. Chef is flabbergasted. You're still hungry? Starve, she replies. 
well, what are you hungry for? What do you have? Everything, the chef tells her. She thinks, you know, it would be really nice, a cheeseburger. Chef contemplates and a small smirk crosses his face. We can do a cheeseburger. She clarifies, she doesn't want some abstract interpretation of a cheeseburger, a real cheeseburger. Chef is confident that they can give her a good traditional burger, one that feels like eating the very first cheeseburger you ever ate, when your parents could only afford cheap ones. She asks for it medium with American cheese, and Chef acknowledges this is in fact the superior cheese for hamburgers because it melts without splitting. It'll only run her $9.95, and she wonders if that comes with fries. After learning the fryer is still on, Chef asks crinkle cut or julienne? Chef prepares it entirely by himself, slapping down two patties on the flat top. He seasons with some salt and pepper, followed by some onions, and then flips the patty. This is actually a great trick that goes all the way back to Depression Era America, known as the Oklahoma Burger. Adding the onions makes the beef more flavorful, but the beef fat also cooks the onions. Total boss move, but also something very standard and traditional. The biggest surprise of all is that Chef actually does look happy, as though he is connecting back to his youth and the simpler days of his relationship with food. But it's also worth pointing out that Margot is actually manipulating him in a sense. She saw some Something that she could latch onto after the displays in his quarters. She takes a big bite and Chef watches on, anticipating a response. She chuckles softly. Now that is a cheeseburger. Yes, that is a cheeseburger, he agrees. Unfortunately, she says her eyes were a little bigger than her stomach, which she also understands. She requests to take it to go, and Chef holds back his emotions, then politely asks for one second. Supplemental course, a cheeseburger. Just a well-made cheeseburger. Hey, don't forget the crinkle cut fries, too. Chef returns with a little to-go box, along with a gift bag. He thanks her for dining at the Hawthorne, and she thanks him for, um, everything? She lays down a tinner, and Chef motions for them to open the door. Margot pauses on the way out, looking over to the other doomed patrons, but Anne even encourages for her to go. She quickens her pace, and manages to leave with her life thanks to her quick thinking. Chef takes a moment, and there's one more matter to settle, the bill. Don't forget, they don't have a tip system here. Gratuity is included. More gift bags are handed out, including trinkets like house-made granola, a copy of tonight's menu, and one of Doug's fingers. <laughs> oh, cool, thanks. He stands before them, thanking them for dining with us tonight. You represent the ruin of his art and my life, but now they get to be part of what he hopes is his masterpiece. The staff dump out graham cracker dust on the ground, along with several different sauce swirls. Each is given a vest made of marshmallows, and the sommelier dumps out wine all over the ground. And of course, the finishing touch, little chocolate hats. Other chefs lay out huge marshmallows on sticks in the middle of the room. Chef explains the final plate, the s'more, which he calls the most offensive assault on the human palate ever due to its cheap ingredients. Yet we associate it with nostalgia and our childhood. What transforms it into something more is fire. Fire, purifying it with flame. It warms us, forges us, and destroys us. It's time for us to embrace the flame. Meanwhile, Margot makes it to another boat and manages to get it going, pulling the hell out of there. Chef shows off his asbestos hand, grabbing an ember straight out of the oven. They must be cleansed, like martyrs or perhaps heretics. We can be subsumed and begin anew, he rants. At this point, Anne even agrees the only way is to start over, nodding along, and even thanks him for real. It's like she too has come to understand how horrible of a person she is and accepts this as her only warranted fate. Julian tells his brigade a final I love you. I love you, chef, they chant back. He drops the ember and is set on fire. It quickly spills to the room and the crew starts another fire in the kitchen. It weighs out, the engine sputters to a stop, but she is at least a safe distance from the island. She sits down to catch her breath, hearing a distant, massive explosion. The building is consumed in flames and they have become the s'more. Marshmallow, chocolate, graham cracker, customers, staff, 
restaurant. Margo busts out the burger and watches it burn. She grabs a copy of the menu, and after looking it over, derisively uses it as a napkin to wipe her mouth, which isn't quite wiping her butt with it, but I feel the intent is the same. All that pomp and work and death, to Margo it was meaningless enough to use as a napkin. Pretty fitting visual to leave us on. It's all about how easy it is to lose touch with the simple and become more enveloped in a bunch of crap. That's more or less what led to Chef's breakdown. The burger also represents those happy times he had as a lad, with no grand pressures or high-end food to be putting out. Then there's the aspect of his mother and the concept of trying to please someone that never will be. It was this that drove him for the entirety of his life, somehow hoping to achieve a kind of perfection in his culinary arts, which initially was spurned by his mother, along with his troubled childhood. This was only made worse by the outside factors represented by each of the groups of diners. The disconnected couple that don't appreciate his work, the critics that he has to constantly please their egos, or conversely they give him a bad review that could end his career. Then there's the actors turned foodies that are more desperate for a last taste of fame than any real meaning, the fakers that do have the book knowledge, but not the actual ability to cook themselves. But perhaps worst of all is the finance bros working for David. It was David that helped them launch this whole Hawthorne endeavor, and assumedly he found out about his cooked book sometimes later. Even that alone would be crushing for Chef, the achievement of his dreams only through ill-gotten gains. On top of that, he appears to have sacrificed his wife and child for his career. Those specific things alone would be enough to make anyone go a little bit cuckoo bananas, but then stack up everything else going on, and it's just a powder keg waiting to go off. It was obviously Chef's intentions to make some grand statement about everything that has corrupted and perverted his art. But he, even as he acknowledged, was part of the problem himself by always striving for the impossible instead of just giving people good food they want to eat, as Margot so bluntly put it. That brings us to the conclusion of this ending explained for the menu. But don't forget, before we go, you can send me requests for any movies or TV shows you'd like to see me explain by sending them my way on any of my social media accounts at Foundflix. What did you think of the menu and its ending? What is your interpretation of everything that goes down? Let me know your thoughts down in the comments below. Make sure to like, subscribe, and follow. Thanks for watching Foundflix. See you next time.